Guys, good morning. Yeah, so glad that you guys are here today. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews 6 will be our text for today. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of or behind you, uh, or Bible.com will get you where you need to go today. Um, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful that you are here today and that we get to worship together. Um, I was telling, and I felt this, and I feel it in this service too, but just I, I want to make sure we're all aware of this, and even if you're not, here's the encouragement. Sometimes we, we struggle in life because life gets heavy, doesn't it? Life gets heavy because Monday through Friday or even Monday through Saturday, everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants your time. If you're a parent, you got little kids who won't leave you alone, right? I mean, we, we, we have all of these things going on. And potentially, you can show up to a church service and have a thousand different things on your mind. You, you can be thinking about everything that you had to do last week and you didn't get done, or you can be thinking about everything that you got coming up this week and you don't know how you're going to have the capacity to do it, but then there are moments that I pray is happening right now that you can remember that God is in your past, in your presence, and in your future, that he's got you, that whatever you're facing, he's already there and he's holding you through it all. And so all you have to do this morning is to breathe. To breathe and to be here in this place and know that God fully knows you. And this is, this is a big deal because I think sometimes we believe we have to put on a face or to put on a front to walk through the doors as, as if we're trying to fool somebody. Guys, here's the beauty of church. Here's, here's what you're saying, whether you meant to say it or not. I'm broken and I need help. That's why we're at church, aren't we? If we came here and said, I got it all together, then we're a country club, and I ain't supposed to be the pastor of that. <laughs> Guys, we're in a place that nobody has their lives together. Nobody has everything like they want it. And by God's grace, he said, you are enough because I am enough. And that's the hope of Hebrews. As we journey through this book, as we journey through this letter to, to a church that, that is in, in a fight of its life in the first century, what the author is trying to help them understand, whatever you know about God, whatever you know about Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, that's just scratching the surface of who he truly is. So if you love him and, and you worship him because he's good, he's gracious, and he's restored you, that's only a drop in the bucket of the love that he has towards you. So that's my hope for you this morning. No matter why you came in the doors today, that as you sit here today, as we have sang and as we get ready to hear God's word preached, that your eyes would be open to the beauty and the glory of God. And that you leave here not, not, try, not with this weight of, I've got to be a better version of me. I've got to have my life together. No, no, that would be the opposite of what we want when you leave. Our hope is that when you leave here today, you can rest in who Christ is and trust your life completely to him. That no matter how many pieces it's broken into right now, that he can take each and every one of them and put them back together for his glory and your good. Well, let's read God's word today and we'll jump in and we'll work through this together. Then at the end of our time today, we'll share in the Lord's Supper together. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's what God's word says. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washing and the laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened 
who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to be restored again to repentance since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their, to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain and often falls on it produces a crop useful for those of whom sake it's cultivated, receiving a blessing from God, but it bears thorns and thistles, and it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, you hear that and you say, where is the sermon in that? Guys, I promise you, it's good today. It's good today as we journey through this. Just kind of a, a reminder, if you weren't here last week, let me catch you up so you'll understand the context of us kind of jumping in right here. Context is this. Last week, the end of chapter 5, the author warns against being lazy and reading to understand God's Word, right? So, so many times we can read God's Word to say, oh, we did our devotion today. We read this many verses, or we read this chapter, or this book, uh, but we've never understood it. And so so author is saying it does you no good if you don't understand it to, to read, read through it. So, so don't be lazy in just reading God's Word. Make sure that we understand it. Laziness in the Word can cause us not to be able to explain why we believe what we believe. Laziness in the Word can cause us to not be able to understand the bigger things of God. And laziness in the Word can cause us not to be able to discern good from evil. This week, the focus goes from a warning to more of a clarion call. For all of God's people, now remember, context, he's speaking to a specific group, for them to grow up in their faith. It's time to leave the elementary thoughts behind, the elementary uh, learnings behind, and they would grow up in maturity as they follow Christ. Now, you've got to remember the context. Remember, this is a Jewish audience. Uh, the fact of the name of the book is Hebrews, right? Um, so this is a group of people who prided themselves on Judaism at one point, followed it to the T. If you don't know what Judaism is, it's it's this idea in the, the Old Testament, God's covenant people. Uh, remember a guy named Moses, right? So, so Moses leads to people out of, uh, of slavery, out of Egypt. They're going towards the promised land as they're in the wilderness. Moses receives the, word, the, the commandments of God and gives the law to the people. And so the law was meant, the, the purpose of the law was meant to show the people they needed God. But then the people got it twisted and they start to see the law as something that they could do to make themselves feel better about themselves. So if I did, let's say I kept 7 out of 10 today, that's 70%. I'm doing pretty good today. So they started to try to keep the law to feel better about themselves. The problem was the law was never meant to save you. The law was always meant to show our great need for salvation. So then they would, they would give themselves over to what the law stated. So talking about sacrifices, they would pride themselves on sacrifices. Um, we're coming up in the month of October. Uh, if you have a calendar... Um, that you go by, because if you follow iCal on your Apple phone or device, um, there's going to be something coming up in the next few weeks called Yom Kippur, uh, or Yom Kippur for, for us southern folk, right? Uh, and you say, what's that? Jewish holiday, Day of Atonement. Okay, so, so this would be the day, back in the day, whenever the high priest would go on our behalf to God to make amends for all of our sin. On the best day, best possible scenario, God receives the offering, the sacrifice, and forgives the people of their sin, but it would never last. They had to do it again every year. So no matter how good the sacrifice was, according to the law, it was still never good enough until Jesus came and he was good enough. Then, then there was this idea of obedience, that if they tried harder to be better and to obey enough, that maybe they could gain God's love. But the issue with that is we don't have enough willpower. I mean, think, think about our lives. It's October. How many of you still have your New Year's resolutions intact? 
A lot of us across the room started the new year, and our resolution was to lose 20 pounds. And currently, we got 30 pounds to go. <laughs> right? So, I mean, we're getting into the, the holiday season. We're, we don't have good willpower. And look, we don't have good willpower when it comes to following the rules that, that God's law states. So where we weren't enough, Jesus was enough. So this is what the author is addressing today. Let's start in verse 1 uh, and read this together. Therefore, let us leave these elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to the maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith, uh, and instead of faith towards God. So the author calls the readers to maturity over the elementary doctrines. Now, in verses 1 and 2, he's going to give us three examples of elementary doctrines and what they are. These aren't exhaustive. So it's not the only things that could be elementary, but it's what they were facing, okay? So the first thing that we have to see is this. To not lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith towards God. So uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. So it's this idea, you did nothing. You didn't work for it. You didn't go to a Christian tryout and show your best and God say, I got to have you on that team. You were dead and God breathed life. That's the beauty and the hope of the gospel, right? And so this is, this is the core of who we are. But what the author is writing to these Hebrews saying, guys, you're going back to some dead works. You're, try, you're trying to obtain salvation or your feel for salvation because of what you've done. Too often, they would run back to their past and attempt to gain their salvation. They believed that following the law somehow brought them life. Here's the other end of that coin, though, the other side of it. What if you don't follow the law? Then it brings you death, doesn't it? Now, if we're going to apply this to our lives today and we start thinking through this, we know, we know it's by grace through faith that we've been saved, but a lot of times we like to go to the law, don't we? Because for, for doers and fixers and high-capacity people across this room, we want to say, look what we've done for God today. We did this, we did this, we did this. And if we did those things, then we'll feel better about ourselves than if we didn't. I read my Bible today. I prayed today. I didn't punch somebody in the throat today. <laughs> like, like you do these things and you say, look what I've done, man. I've, I've accomplished a great task. But guys, when we, when we see this, we see that the author writes this uh, descriptor according to the works. What kind of works does he say they are? Dead works. Works that mean nothing. And so here's the difference, though. So if you're following along with Ephesians 2 in your mind, you know it's by grace through faith that you've been saved. And it's, it's not of, of anything you've done so no man can boast. But you're saved by grace through faith to do what? To do good works, right? Now here is where Christian maturity takes place. Do you believe that you are saved because of what you do? No, we believe that we're saved because of what Jesus did. But we're still called to do good works. So where does that fit in the scenario? Well, we now, as maturing believers, we are called to go and do good works because of what God has done for us. Because he loves us, we can go. So we're not doing it to gain his affection. We're doing it because we have his affection. One is going to cause us to walk on eggshells. One is going to cause us to run in freedom. Some of us have been in relationships, or maybe you're in one now, where the person that you love or the people in your family that you love it's always like walking on eggshells around them because you can't ever do anything right. 
And that's a hard place to live, and particularly if you're in a marriage like that, that's a hard place to operate in because you, you walk in and you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say and you don't know where to go. So typically where you'll find yourself is like this. You don't want to do anything wrong because you don't want to fight. You don't want to say anything wrong because you don't want to start something that, that, that you, you don't want to have to finish later. Like you, you don't want to do it, so you're so scared. But what about those relationships? What about those marriages? What about those families that you operate in grace that you know from the moment that you walk in, you're loved? And that you can say something, you can do something, you can make a mistake, and they're still going to love you, and they're still going to encourage you, and they're still going to pick you up. What do you have a tendency to do in those kind of relationships? To thrive. Because you know that you are loved unconditionally and nothing you do is going to change that. Guys, that's how it is in our walk with the Lord. If you believe that he's got a microscope over your life trying to look at every little thing you've done wrong, then you're going to sit there like this. But God has not called us to a spirit of fear. He's called us to freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so in our relationship with God, we are to run in the grace that he's called us to do. Look at verse 2. And of instruction without washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So, so in this verse, we have two examples of elementary doctrine. First is this, the instruction about washing hands and the laying on of hands. Again, what, what could they do to make themselves feel better? So in this idea of the Old Testament, if, if you haven't read much in there, let me, let me just kind of clue you in. A part of the law, there was some, some law of how you used to wash. If you've touched something that's unclean, you've got to wash in a certain way. If it's, it's something you're going to, you've got to wash in a certain way. If you're going to eat this meal for this specific reason, you need to wash in a certain way. So again, they could follow the letter of the law and say at the end of the day, I've done it correctly. I am absolved from all wrongdoing. What I have done has made me right with God. Again, the problem with that is what if you messed up? What if you didn't feel right with God? Then you're always in that struggle, wondering if God loves you, wondering if, if, if you're ever good enough, wondering if you can ever get it together. The third example, and this is the one that everybody across this room I know wrestles with because I wrestle with it all the time. The resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. You say, well, what's that mean? Listen. You ever wrestled with the question, I wonder what would happen if I died right now? Where would I go? Like if you're laying in bed at night and... and I'm an overthinker. I try to overthink. I don't try to. It just happens. I overthink everything. And I'm laying in bed and I think, well, I wonder what would happen if I died tonight. So I roll over and I kiss my wife and say, well, I wonder if that's the last kiss I'm ever going to. Like, it's weird. I know. I'm inviting you into crazy town. Just welcome. It's good. And then, I don't know if you're like me, but do you ever get in a car and think, while you're cranking the car, like, this is it. I'm probably going to get in a wreck today. This is where it's going to end. So I need to go ahead and get my mind right of where I'm going. Is it just me? Okay, just me in the, in the room. In the first service, because most of them were in there. That's cool. So, oh, four of us. Congratulations. Every, the rest of you are sane. Look, hold a group for us. It's going to be great. <laughs> but the, the struggle is this. We always wonder if we're okay with God. If we were to take our last breath, where are we going to go? What are we going to see when we get there? What are we going to hear him say? So, so what the author is saying here, guys, these are elementary things. These are elementary things that by now, now talking in, in context, by now in their time of walking with the Lord, they should be past these things. That doesn't mean it shouldn't affect them, but they by now should know that God has saved them by grace through faith. 
that they didn't try to be good for God and God say, well, I've shown me something, now I'm going to let you in. They were dead. God breathed life and said, I've seen the entirety of your life and I still love you. They should know that and be able to run, but instead they're just sitting there. It'd be the equivalent of when your child's learning to walk at one and two years old. And they're just sitting there on the side. And when they get to to something in an impasse here, and they don't know where to go, and then they toddle, and they get to the other side, and they feel more secure, and they move there. That would be the equivalent of you growing up to be a 40-year-old man doing the same thing. You shouldn't be doing that. Learning to walk, you should have faith that your legs can take you where you want to go. He said, so the struggle is in the early church, in our church today, sometimes we get so caught up in the elementary things that we never grow past them. So we never can understand the big things of God. We can never understand the sovereignty and the love of God that he lavishes towards us. The test of our Christian maturing is this. Works-based is always going to leave us unsure of our salvation. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Neither of those are we going to like the answer. Faith-based is resting more in Christ every day. He is enough. He did what I couldn't. Look at verse 3. This is, this is where the maturity comes. And this we will do if God permits. So the crux of this matter is God gives the maturity. It isn't a try harder to be better kind of thing. This is a trust more and ask more kind of thing. Look, look, look what it says, verses 4, 5, and 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift that share in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then they've fallen away. So it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they've crucified once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All right, so here's a question. Don't answer it out loud. Can someone who has tasted and seen how good God is and then go back to their old way of life, can they be saved? Now think about it, okay? I'm going to read it again to you. Can someone who has tasted and seen how good God is and then go back to their old way of life, can they truly be saved? The author says this. It is impossible. And you say, wait, wait, hold on now. I thought in the Christian faith anybody can be saved. Anybody can be redeemed. I believe that they can. But but listen, these are the words of Christ in Mark chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, except whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. All right, now, since we have like five minutes to explain one of the biggest ideas in all of Christianity, let me give it to you quickly this way. This is not saying that we've spurned God and he's now mad at the world. This is, this, this is saying, though, that if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who is the one who quickens us to our need for salvation, if the Spirit has come into our life and showed us, made us aware of our sinful state, that we need to be saved by God, and the invitation of salvation is offered by God to us or to a man, and that person is to look back at God through this, the work of the Spirit and say, I don't want it, where does that leave their soul? eternally separated from God because God has extended salvation to them. And so the idea, you can be forgiven of any other sin except that sin. Why is that sin so important? Because that is the only way that all the other sins are forgiven. 
the Spirit of God is in your life and he is wooing you, please don't run. Please don't say I'll do it later. Please don't say I'll do it whenever I change something in my life. He's not asking you to clean your life up. He's not asking you to get better before he can save you. He is just saying trust, tr trust your life to him. Trust your life to him, because if you don't, you're not going to like where it goes. Look, here's, here's the explanation of what those two lives are going to look like. Trust your life to Christ, and it's blessings. Don't trust your life to Christ, and it's death. Look at the next two verses, verses 7 and 8. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those of whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel and how we fall into it, okay? So here's the idea that the author insinuates here, that as a, a, a farmer, we'll, we'll use this analogy, as a farmer plants a big, 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 big field, and the rain falls, and the, the seed gives life, and it starts to grow, and it starts to produce crop, and the, the crop comes up, and it's time for harvest, and the harvest is so big that the farmer and all of his family can eat and enjoy, but it's still too big, so he invites everybody around him to come and enjoy what God blessed them with. Guys, that is the life of the Christian, is it not? That God is going to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. But you can't get the blessing. You can't receive the goodness of God until you trust your life to him. Please, I know I just said something. I even heard my, felt my skin crawl when I said it. Let me just clarify it. Can't receive the, please don't hear TV preacher right now. I believe God blesses those who are his. That does not mean health, wealth, and prosperity. You can be absolutely blessed and have cancer. You can be absolutely blessed and lose your family members. You can be absolutely blessed and everything be falling around you because this world, this world does not determine our blessing. God does. So hear me. If you trust in God, you will be a blessed man and a blessed woman. You will be so blessed that you're able to give joy to those that are around you because you have such an overflow in your life. But if you don't, to whom the bell tolls. Who is that for? <laughs> we ready. We planted that. For those who don't. Bing. ACDC's coming to your mind. Let's get out of here. Look at verse 8. But if, if we had a trumpet, dude, y'all be running. They're like, what's going on? <laughs> Hold on now. We ain't ready. Where's the invitation? <laughs> verse 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. So here's, here's the idea. If the Spirit calls you and says, you need to give your life to God. You need to trust yourself completely to Jesus Christ, and you don't do it. You're not going to like what grows from your life. You may think, you may think your plan is better than God's. You may think that your time is better than his time. His way or your way is better than his way. But I promise you, you're not going to like what grows in the garden you're planting. Because when harvest time comes, you're not going to have anything. The day that we need the grace of God in our life, it's not there. So it's a choice that we get to make. And this, this purpose, this, this reason, this ending proves the first part of the text. you got to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to mature. Leave behind the elementary things. Stop grasping at the things that you've always grasped at. Learn to grow, walk, and run. Why? Because here's the bigger call on your life, Christian. Your life isn't yours. It's God's. 
God has called you to spend your every breath, redeemed one in the room, to make much of his name at the ends of the earth starting right here. That's mature level thinking. That's not elementary thinking. Elementary thinking is, I'm hungry. When do I eat? I want to go there. I want to go there now. And we whine when we don't get our way. But God calls us to be mature. Why? Because he's called us to make disciples. And you will never make disciples until you trust God more and more. So here's the call on our life. As we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, the men are going to come and they're going to prepare the table for us. Guys, don't, don't think that this is the end. Don't pack up and get ready to go, but you can put your Bibles up just for a second. I don't want us to miss this. Because of what this table represents for us, it represents the invitation to come. All you who are broken, all you who can't get it together, all you who struggle every single day, come to me and you will find rest. So if you're here today and and you're struggling, if you're here today and you don't know how to make it better, go to Christ and give him your life. Because that is the only way that you'll receive blessing and the only way that you'll be a blessing to other people. You're probably here today and you've learned the hard way. You've learned that you've tried hard. And your hard work's never enough. This table represents it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way.